0: Hey, everybody. This is R.J. Thompson with another episode of the City View podcast. I am actually sitting above A&C Beverage right now, if you're familiar with, with where that's at. Um, it is incredibly quiet right now, uh, despite the fact that um, the paintings that I'm looking at speak volumes and have a lot of energy and personality to them. Um, hopefully, the uh, the silence won't last too long as soon as our... Uh, guest starts talking, but at any rate, if you haven't been to the top of ANC Beverage, it's actually a really cool design space, um, turquoise ventilation tubes, um, purple uh, rounded columns, uh, it's actually a really cool space, and uh, I'm sitting here with uh, Dragan Asernyak, did I get it right? Yeah. All right, yes, awesome. I pride myself on getting people's names correct. <laughs> so um, this is Dragon's studio, and um, Dragana, just out of curiosity, how long have you been here?
1: Uh, hi, RJ, I was, uh, well, I've been here for 10 years in Youngstown for four years, I believe, in this space.
0: You've been here for four years. I drive past this building every day, yeah. and, and I didn't know. Yeah. So I'm gonna have to stop by more frequently. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's a hidden gem. I do think it's kind of not obvious, you know, to assume there is studio space above liquor store. Mm-hmm. How convenient.
0: How did, how did you get this space?
1: Well, you know, it was one of, uh, it was processed for a couple of months. I was looking for space in Youngstown, and you would think there are so many abandoned, available Spaces, But, you know, it didn't work as easy because I was looking for something that's a little cleaner, a little polished, like that has a restroom, that has AC. Yeah. That has um, good lighting, good, um, decent ventilation. And this was sort of just really discovery. All of a sudden, this realtor actually showed me the space that was, used to be an architecture company. They moved. So they did really invest in this kind of uh, building interesting space, space visually. I mean, you forgot to mention angular, triangular windows, which yeah. I think they really do mean. Uh, th- that was what I mean, I walked in. It was just instant kind of commitment to like, I really want to be here.
0: It's actually a, a, a creative space, and I apologize for omitting the, the windows. They weren't my peripheral vision. Uh, it is a creative space, and it's a great space for doing creative works, and it makes sense why an architecture firm was here. And And did you say they had a hand in designing this building? Or? They
1: did. Okay. They did. The colors you mentioned, the purple columns, you know, that's very unusual. It's not – I don't know about green uh, ventilation yeah. pipes, but – they definitely did work on a colorous and angularity of space
0: I used to work at a, at an ed agency in Pittsburgh and um, it was um, very 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 inspired by uh, Pete Mondrian mm-hmm. and so much so that like the offices so each individual had their own office and it was it was a box essentially, but it was like these cast iron walls and, but it was designed in the, the color scheme and the, just the, the grid essentially like uh, a Mondrian awesome. and it, yeah, it was really cool. Uh, ironically as a bit claustrophobic, uh-huh. um, So, uh,
1: oh, we can, you know, do a whole show just on this. I think how to that'll be
0: the sequel. (laughs) No,
1: the the, the space that you know is workable space to kind of break away from the cubicles. And I mean, even though they had cubicles, but you know, still sense of light and architecture, I'm sure would feel like really inspiring. You come to work and you're like, I want to be here. Mm -hmm. You know, that's really what.
0: Easily can happen, but often doesn't. Yeah. Uh, um, And, you know, just as an aside, one of the things about ad agencies is they really pride themselves on their interior design. Um, yeah, so like every single one has to be like this incredible visual that you walk into. And, um, what's funny is it's, it's kind of like a red herring because you could go into an ad agency that looks amazing, but they actually Mm -hmm. produce terrible work. (laughs) So, uh, so illusions can, you know, appearances can be deceiving to, to say the least.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's. Who knows, like, you know, then it still makes people happy, I guess, to work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: for sure. So um, you've got a lot of paintings up on the wall or leaning on the wall. Um, what are you working on now? These look finished. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what are you working on now?
1: Yeah, this, this is really perfect timing that you, you came. I appreciate it. Uh, because this, real, this whole body of work you see here is 14 paintings uh, finished, ready to uh, be installed in Richmond Page Bond Gallery. The opening will happen November 4th. And this body of work is actually the body of work I produced since January 2016, this year, uh, when I was on sabbatical. So half of my sabbatical year was traveling, documenting, Uh, writing, reading, researching, and kind of collecting information and came back from Europe uh, making the work. So what you see is really complete outcome of sabbatical uh, leave.
0: What did you learn during your time off? So much, I'm sure.
1: Oh, good. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to prioritize there. But, you know, since I came to United States in 1997, and since 1998, I've been. Uh, it was about 16 years of um, academia, mm. finishing getting BFA, masters, teaching. So every single year, there was no break from. Uh, and just craving that time when you really, you know, I could focus and research and really kind of have. Uh, Continuity that's so important, I think, in a studio practice, you know, for painters, especially being kind of solitary. Yes, (laughs) most of us um, that really is hard to balance with teaching and family and you know, other things we have to do on a
0: daily basis. Distractions,
1: yeah, I mean, that's just everyone can relate. It sounds, I mean, it's huge privilege just to think of the fact that we still have. This opportunity to do at university that they give us time mm-hmm. uh, to really invest because you know I, I think of teaching and research as so completely um, interrelated. I cannot, I never understand this like research institution, teaching institution. It somehow is still very abstract in my head because right. you know we research informs teaching and teaching kind of. Is reward to your research, and it kind of really comes back and feeds your research too. With, you know, so it's really closely tied together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so somehow, you know, what I learned was, you know, just to, was not easy to keep the pace and develop work. You know, after having like you know a decade of it is like chopped time, so this was kind of like full time uh, working in a studio. But it was time for, kind of chance for me to reconnect with uh, painting and uh, places I visited and kind of really uh, get into the heart of it, you know, with failures and having some time to actually make bad paintings, which you don't see, they're actually stacked back.
0: No uh, one will and, ever see them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, just that was huge, just had few time to really experiment and try and Come with something that looks like you know it's solved that came together, but really starting from almost zero, like going to places that I didn't know what's gonna happen and how this will develop. I feel really kind of the, like, the sense of accomplishment that something like kind of rounded and I learned a lot about painting in a new way.
0: There's some closure here. Mm -hmm. I feel um, even just by even just by looking at at your paintings and, of course, hearing what you're saying. But like you had a a very finite journey and you got what you needed from it and you grew as an individual and you grew as a painter.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, these painting's all uh, for first time. Uh, the way I work, I, all my work is generally starts with a place in space, so it's based, it kind of depends on uh, physical experience of particular space. So the last time I traveled was for eight days to Iceland, and whole body of work happened after that. Uh, this time I traveled to visit monasteries in uh, Eastern Europe, Serbia, Kosovo, Bosnia, Montenegro, different parts of former Yugoslavia, where I'm from. And that's the first time that I kind of selected. I, mean, I I see similarities in a way that places are both of these uh, choices I made. Iceland and monasteries seem kind of far away from one another. But I, I tend to gravitate towards spaces that have uh, maybe kind of that opportunity to escape or at least to remove myself from everyday um, and then uh, this time, this was the first time that I really challenged myself to go to, you know, places that really somehow shaped historically identity of Serbian people. Like, you know, just generally speaking, it's not... I wasn't really interested in going and researching history of uh, monasteries because there are books and books written on them. There are a lot of our Byzantine architecture right. and uh, frescoes that...
0: It's ground tread upon. Yeah. yeah.
1: But uh, it was kind of ex- the experiencing the history of places. And most of these monasteries are age, you know, ages old and uh, centuries old. And they have a really fragmented presence of architecture, frescoes, uh, faded kind of uh, facades and interiors, the smell. I mean, it just really... For the first time, I was drawn to history. There is so much you know for my work, I think I focused on a contemporary uh, thinking in terms of painting right now, what it does, how it can operate um, but now there was kind of like I wanted to see and go back to places that are carry that history. And uh, be present in it, come back with uh, experience itself and try to really try uh, without knowing really if that would happen or not how to make work out of it so the paintings themselves Mm -hmm. really are absurd a little bit because they're based on some actual documentation I brought like photographs fragments of frescoes or architecture itself, the interior spaces but then each painting totally takes its own trip every time it starts. And there is this whole process of discovery and the layering that this time happens, I think that's new for me in this body of work is maybe the patience. And again, that's what sabbatical gave me, like time to really patiently work on each one, you know, to really have time to step back and stare for hours, like, mm-hmm. you know, one day, which, you know, not kind of force solutions. So there really are slower, and they're kind of slowly developed, you know, layers that mimic somehow my contemplation over the history or what happened. And reading the books on these monasties, you know, history just can't be grasped. There is always this, as much as you learn and read and try to understand, it's still this very removed abstract, at least to me, I cannot comprehend mm-hmm. history. It's kind of part fantasy, part facts that you find in uh, books you read, right? So that to me, painting really relates so that it starts with the actual experience that physically, you know, these paintings, for example, will have uh, started with my experience of maybe a mourning in one of the monasteries, the light, the colors, how maybe sounds I heard, or conversations I had over in a... But then they kind of each mark, each color caused you know some new decisions to happen in the painting itself formally. So many of them just took very different uh, roads, kind of you know, Mm. to be solved. And uh, because in the end, painting is an object, and I'm really interested in painting as kind of this uh, object in a space, how it's perceived. Perception is definitely huge. Aspect of you know what my awareness of you were kind of approaching it from 20 feet, coming close to like a few inches from the surface, and things that would envelop and uh, happen in the process. So like perceptual shifts in a process of observing.
0: You know, I'm actually glad you brought that up because <clears throat> one of the things I was sharing with my students the other day was, um, and I'll this is a bit of a tangent, but I'll mm-hmm. wrap it back around was uh, we're we're designing billboards and how so billboards are actually in a sense designed very poorly on a technical mm-hmm. level because uh, you're observing them from a distance so. Uh, up close they 're all pixelized and they 're of a lower quality, but from farther away they 're intact and they 're visually sound mm-hmm. um, and We were talking about environment so i 'm actually glad to hear that like you talk about your your paintings as a result of of experience and expression, but also um, considering the, the places within which they inhabit and how they transform that space. Um, I think a lot of, and again, I'm only speaking from my point of view, but I think a lot of people when they see a painting, they're only interpreting that artist's particular expression and that's it and oh so someone could look at this and be like oh so that's what they thought and really it's more of a, a reflection on the the viewer's observation than of the the artists themselves and that's where you get that 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 rich sort of appreciation for 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 art Mm -hmm. but um i'm I'm glad to hear that like there's an another conceptual layer to what you're you're doing um Uh, it makes the work more interesting for you and for the viewer if they're if they're uh willing to invest in in the visuals what they're looking at then it just adds another layer of authenticity Mm -hmm. and intelligence Um, and I can understand, like, how, out of curiosity, how long would you stare at a painting before you decide to make, like, no matter how big or small, major or minor, a conscious choice? Mm
1: -hmm. That's a great question. And I think really, um, the perception itself and, uh, coming close to painting, you know, I view painting as this, um, kind of a little bit of a, like a dinosaur among the, oh, like, tech uh, developments today and mm-hmm. because we are all so accustomed to moving image generally right and i think we really are all experts visual experts in processing information like with the speed and understanding and kind of filtering and making meanings out of the world on a daily basis be aware or not you know that we drive in and see things how we process of painting, somehow in the last, I would say for me, in the last 5-10 years it really kind of uh, came to this new level of like a, a, a appreciation that I see painting as a, this like singularity of it. that It is one image that does require, but again it is what you just mentioned, uh, very up to individual how long you would stay with it. Mm -hmm. And I'm so, I think that's so essential to how I work and what what really moves me, what really motivates me uh, in uh, making decisions and really carefully calculating. I I think of them uh, really calculating each line if it's, you know, this particular red or slightly darker red, how far Mm -hmm. is it from the green and like this drip where it's going to stop and freeze in the space are moments that reflect, you know, an individual in a space and really require just, it's made for one person. So it's very intimate encounter that I'm seeking and kind of hoping to have them trigger. Because people who will be in front of them would uh, observe on on their own time and it, it will just slowly envelop. Depends how much time you spend. You know, there are, layers in them and things you would discover more you look at them i think it's a little bit this time what's new formally and maybe technically is the paint and the kinds of paints i use with uh, iridescent and kind of interference and silver metallic paints they literally reflect light in a space Mm -hmm. differently so it depends how you move through the space and they do have a little bit of that interactive.
0: <laughs> I'm sure gallery owners must love your work. Uh, as relative to their lighting setups. Lighting
1: it does really impact. You know, one thing that's so challenging is documentation. That they cannot really those subtleties can't be documented easily. So, but I, you know, it's a good challenge. So.
0: You know, I'm wondering, uh, on, on the note of photographing your work, uh, especially considering the, the light reflection, you know, if you're, if you were to turn off the flash or, or lower the shutter speed, you could get some really cool types of effects coming from, from your paintings, um, depending on you know even if it was just like a quick pan from left to right Mm -hmm. you could see that like the lines move and you know you mentioned like how conscious of a decision it is and calculating actually is a more apt word uh on like your line density Mm -hmm. um you know if you were to 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 slow the camera down absorb more light and control that lighting the uh the lines would actually maybe Create this bleeding effect to one way or another it just i 'm spitballing, but it'd just be kind of neat to see that as a as another layer of of this this consciously made work in using um being captured by another medium other than human eyes
1: yeah definitely I think that uh, is something I will explore It would be good to have someone who really thinks as a photographer how you know they the line density and the structure uh, you know is something that kind of operates as a time in a painting and uh would be interesting. I think there is the challenge of thinking a singular image in relation to time because it's so essential to it, and yet somehow it's frozen and I think mm-hmm. there's dynamics that engages viewer slowly again, I think it's really more like on a contemplative level but it is interesting maybe in relation to photography and exposure to think about you know making new work that's based on this who knows it's a possibility
0: yeah you know it it might be worth exploring and or i could be completely full of crap (laughs) Uh, (laughs) who knows um
1: someone else who would have to do it for sure Um, yeah
0: (laughs) You know, even even that brings up an interesting conversation about appropriation. In in that regard, like here's a here's a, a piece created by an artist, and here's another artist creating a piece out of the piece that another artist made. Um, I could talk ad nauseum about that. Um, looking at your work, and and for the the folks listening at home, I would encourage you to. Uh, take a look at Dragana's work online so you can get the full context of of sort of what we're discussing. Um, I could describe it to you, but honestly, while I may have the words, I still will not do it justice. Um, You have to see it. On that note, once you folks see it, this next question will maybe, uh, uh, you know, make you look at the work in a different light, figuratively speaking. Uh, Do you listen to music while you're creating? no no
1: not at all it's absolute no i just don't i can't i i, I can't have that that's distraction it's
0: distraction okay well the reason i bring it up is like um i'm seeing like crazy movement in in some respects and like my eye is going all over the place even like with your lines here it reminds me of a harp you know and i could be generalizing that but i see rhythm So, could you talk maybe a little bit about rhythm in the context of some of your work?
1: You know, that's a great uh, observation, definitely, that it does relate, I think, to sound. Because sound, again, if you go back to perception, and when I think of perception in general, how we perceive the world around us, how we understand anything, how we process, you know, I'm really more interested in physically, like, again, presence in a space, and how we physically absorb information, not necessarily intellectually. So I'm always really interested in the process of perceiving rather than really truly understanding something. So in giving kind of value to that process of kind of letting yourself be present, be open, be responsive to different situations, environments, and uh, let things kind of sink in Mm -hmm. slowly rather than really having this um, need to uh, interpret and understand. So the reason I don't listen to music, even though maybe they do have rhythm and that's a good observation. It's like it's there, but it's uh not. Because it definitely would just... Be essential part of what that image (laughs) will end up being, you know. Because being in this space, making in this space, bringing kind of like memories of certain spaces and uh, places Mm -hmm. in the work, I feel like I'm just overloaded already with stimulus to make. And I think that silence between one line to the next line is essential. I mean, I, I usually work three to four paintings at the same time. So one is in the first beginning stage, maybe next one is a little more layered, and, you know, that kind of <clears throat> go from one to another and layer them. But there's a lot of sitting and staring and thinking. Mm. I just think that silence is incredibly engolden, <laughs> go- in yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's just so important, essential to um, making the work.
0: Um, you, so you, you said uh, you work on up to... Not necessarily a number, but like four paintings simultaneously those aren't necessarily seen uh as a whole those are individual all right
1: definitely okay. yeah exactly that.
0: so the uh so what's interesting about that at least to me is like four paintings could stand they stand apart um, just trying to imagine how your brain works while in that mode in that process is like chaos <laughs> in a, it's like it's ordered it's like ordered chaos it's it's ordered chaos grounded in contemplation <laughs> um because i i think a, i'm glad to hear that you're able to multitask like that and i think what i'm really interested in is the connective tissue between each painting mm-hmm. and how each one influences the other is that a direct or indirect sort of consequence of working on several paintings at once
1: you know i I wish I can really have that ability to analyze and give maybe some, like, maybe psychologists would do good. But there's something about peripheral viewing of things. You know, if you're sitting here and I just had a blank canvas or maybe start, started painting on a the side, there mm. will be something that happens if I talk to you in the middle of conversation that would, like, just seem like, oh, I really have to do this. You know, there's just this sense of urgency, and, like, it makes um, that particular mark really necessary to to place in relation to what's already happening in the painting. So if I have one, I know it's a little like, it does sound like chaotic, switching from one to another. But, you know, usually there is maybe a couple hours working on one and it just is not giving any kind of uh, answers to what what it wants to be, you know, next. And I think that kind of leaving it where it is, giving a time, coming, you know, day after, or just working on another, switches my mind to a different direction, different set of challenges. And then, you know, kind of new solution for the first one just pops up all of a sudden. So I think that peripheral... As much as I think I need to focus on each painting, I also kinda of really have to keep the distance, you know. As much as they are really personal, I kinda of want to let them go. They're not really they're about just being a painting. So there's really you know, like I think all my work is like that dichotomy of opposites, like you mentioned, chaos, order, like definitely, that's all <laughs> essential to it, you know, you know, in working in between.
0: Um. Well, the, the, the process you described is, uh, it it feels opposite in some in some cases to what I end up looking at. Mm-hmm. So that's why I ask, because it's fascinating that this is your process. And as I interpret it, there's some ordered chaos to it. And then I look at your paintings, and they're very deliberate, very conscious, very calculated. And there's... Um, I don't want to say there's no chaos to them necessarily, but uh, in terms of interpretation, it's like, it's all very controlled, which is the opposite of chaos. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like the root of, of where those paintings are. So mm-hmm. um, to, to sort of switch gears uh, and I have to ask because I'm interested in how, uh, so to preface uh, for everyone, uh, Dragan and you teach painting uh Youngstown State, um, and you've you've been there for how long? A decade? Decade? Okay. Um, how has your process informed that of your students, or has it at all?
1: It's interesting now that we just mentioned uh, how painting ends up being finished and complete and somehow calculated. You know, it's almost like that's just what it has to be. And it's you know, if we, yesterday we had. Uh, Critique in a student project gallery with mixed media and intermediate painting students and it came up in uh first time they're developing something that's site like specific you know small projects on the walls responding to space, a lot of experimentation you know material wise and space wise and it came up, and I think I, I say this often because I really do believe in that. That one of the main goals we have to do as artists is to convince. You know what? To convince. You know, and I think it's just convincing that that's just how it has to be. I mean, they're ri- ridiculous. They're not really these. You know, interpreted meanings necessarily that you can put in words, but visually, I think they have to come. To point when you are convinced that uh, and you're giving viewer criteria by which to evaluate the work, I mm-hmm. think that 's really something i 'm interested in. with students when we talk about materials responding. you just have to convince viewer that that materials you 're choosing are giving providing already criteria how you will evaluate so it 's not some kind of historical hierarchical it has to be you know it has to be placed in a specific right. box or categorized I mean we are inventing we want to discover I think if there's no that discovery that you're kind of crossing a little bit taking risk what if you know the questioning of uh, it doesn't and you know we have I think just teaching in general students who come I'm really rewarding process that happens it's both way kind of exchange that students uh, usually will grow and kind of develop work that will just strike me as um incredible. Every semester we have students who make really amazing work. And that's um you know it kind of happens like with new students every semester. I mean I felt how privileged that is to have new set of students or at least like you know, new few students every semester. We don't mm-hmm. work and. a so it's this kind of, <clears throat> of renewal of energy every uh, semester, so yeah, over time, I don't know if my work i really'm so kind of careful about not bringing even though I'm pretty sure the way I teach it's highly influenced by how mm-hmm. I work as an artist. I try not to bring like my work in and you know my interests you know in the students' heads, you know, just more pointing to really cultivating their sensibility and how they view and look at things. And I'm sure that kind of comes back to my work, influences my strategy, too, of working, teaching.
0: So for what it's worth, um, you know, I am always concerned about my influence being... A, a, a burden or you know over influencing to my students and their process. Um, I actually go through the bottom of bliss when I arrive and when I leave, specifically because I like looking at the work mm-hmm. um, and uh, rest assured that like while your process may be influenced like I think your visuals, uh, I see all kinds of different work mm-hmm. i mean i I don't see like a student making something like yours and that's that's actually really great that that you see that variety um, I love painting um and I developed my love for painting in college except uh and I particularly love oils uh, I enjoy oils uh I do things the hard way really? yeah i I like oils but um i I think for me, it was mostly a journey in like color expression mm-hmm. as opposed to creating anything with, with concept or composition. Mm-hmm. It was more of a, of a, a, therapeutic slash color study for me. Um, mostly because when I graduated, this was 07, I, I I blended right into a job where I wasn't doing any fine art at all. It was all graphic design. And that's one of the pitfalls of being a designer is unless you're very talented as a fine artist, you're not incorporating that into your work. So I would leave my very non-creative job for the day, go home and just paint things. Mm. Um, so someday I'll pick it back up, maybe when uh, my daughter is ready to start with watercolors or something like that. Oh, maybe we do but, a painting
1: uh, marathon soon and just invite all the faculty to...
0: You know what, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Um, yeah, a, a painting marathon. Is beer involved?
1: <laughs> maybe if you do it here in a studio. Yes, 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 off campus. <laughs> how,
0: how, how convenient. Yes, exactly. Um, I,
1: I really want to comment on, uh, you know, there is, we always talk of this like, oh, technical versus conceptual. And in you know, teaching, it's kind of going from technical understanding and uh, manipulation of visual elements and understanding color composition, and then coming up with concept. <laughs> you know, that more and more I teach, that's something I'm getting really. Convinced, and I you know want students you know because I see they come and kind of sometimes worry like oh i don 't have that concept i don 't have that, you know, and yet they really respond to materials in a very specific way, mm-hmm. and I just really think that that's essential to development of concept that we just basically can 't avoid concept if you, i mean if you try to make something that 's non conceptual that has no kind of uh, meaning, But you are making it. You would, we just associate things. We come up with, I right. mean, we interpret. We are just how, that's how we operate in a general as humans. But he, uh, I mean, and, um, so I really do like to encourage students to not worry so much. I think it's too much of a burden almost, like coming up or forcing some, bigger concepts that are trendy or like you know, artists are exploring now. But clearly the way they draw, I mean if you are a tight drawer, if you're an expressive drawer, you do it slowly or fast or you are layer or you like just hands on, you know, squeezing clay or mm-hmm. splashing paint, you know, that that really speaks already, I think carries that concept in itself. And uh I think that's something that really is necessary, the process of just making and uh creating and letting that concept emerge on its own rather than starting with it. You know? Right.
0: Yeah, letting it um, basically gradually come to the fore. Yeah, um, you can't avoid it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Dragon, I think we're out of time. Um, I want to thank you for, for talking with us this afternoon. And uh, folks, by all means, uh, check out her work. And uh, for, for the folks listening, where can they go to do that?
1: Well, definitely website is uh, easy, will be updated soon with the newest work. This is not up yet, but um, we, there is catalog. If anyone is interested to stop by, you know, I would be happy to share those, the exhibition. If anyone is traveling through Virginia, <laughs> Richmond, it is beautiful to visit this time of year, fall season.
0: Is- I'm going to miss it. I'm going to be in Roanoke. But, uh,
1: that's only an hour. Yeah, I mean, right? you really yeah. should. It's up for whole month of November. opens November 4th. And I believe, you know, I'm just going to give a, this like a hint, but, uh, you know, there is a big possibility that some of these works will be in Butler next uh, year. So we'll be. I really would love to share it with students, faculty, friends, colleagues, everyone here. So I think that's something to look forward to.
0: Cool. Well, uh, we'll stay tuned and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks again.
1: Thank you for coming.
0: No problem.
1: So there's no. uh